chapter 15. Corinthians chapter 15. I want to say thanks to Joe for leading us this morning, doing a good job. Uh, very appreciative of him and uh, Kelly and all they're doing for our kiddos. And uh, uh, I think Carol and I said this the other day. We, we, we can hear Joe practicing every day and below us in his office. And uh, we enjoy it. I love it because he does that two or three times a day. And, and you can tell he's worshiping. And, and, and uh, uh, we're just glad that he's here. Uh, he's doing a great job. And so make sure you tell him that and, and encourage him and, and, and Kelly. Okay? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. And again, thank you for all you've given us. I pray that you be with us now as we, we look at this great text of Scripture. Uh, as I said earlier, Father, I pray that none of us think we're beyond the basics and that we remember today that, that sometimes the basics are just what we need. And so I, I pray today that as, as we look at that and as we uh, proclaim the gospel, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened. Uh, I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that today you would save them. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we have been in the book of Corinthians since January, all right? We're, we're getting closer to the end. We're, we're, we'll be done uh, the Sunday before uh, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, and so I'm thankful for that. Uh, we'll do Advent. Joe and I have been working this week on outlining the book of Exodus, which we will start in January, uh, and so we're going to spend a lot of time in Exodus coming up, which I can't wait to preach through uh, because I think I got it timed out just right for Easter, so that, that's, that's a really good deal. Uh, but we've been in the book of Corinthians, uh, and if you remember, the Christians at Corinth had some serious problems. Like if you ever want to look around and think our church had problems, just read the book of Corinthians, you'll realize we're not that bad, right? Church is not that bad. All the little petty things that maybe we deal with from time to time, minor compared to what was going on in that church. 
The church was arguing over pastors. They had a man sleeping with his stepmother. They're suing each other in the courts. They're getting drunk at the Lord's Supper table. They were arguing over sexuality and gender roles. Their worship services had descended into just this kind of just complete chaos to which they thought was awesome. And then finally, starting in verse 15, or chapter 15, what we see is, is that there's one more issue that they're having a problem with. And that issue is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find out really next week is that there were some people in the church that said either it didn't happen or, or there's other people saying that the resurrection of the dead has already happened. And so the final thing that Paul is going to address is going to be the resurrection. Now, the great thing about this, this book that, that I love is that if you look at the first two chapters, Paul opens the book with the gospel. He reminds them about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul says, that is the message that I preach. That's the message that Apollo preached. That's the message that should be held high is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then everything flows out of that. And so Paul says, here's the gospel. Now, here's how the gospel addresses all these issues. And then right here in verse 15, before he jumps in to everything on the resurrection, Paul takes these 11 verses to put another bookend on the gospel and say, let me remind you one more time of the gospel. Let me show you how important the gospel is in dealing with all these issues and all of your problems. In other words, what Paul says is that we need to go back to the basics one more time, Corinthians. See, no matter what you do in your life, you can't ever get beyond the basics, can you? I mean, if you think about it, as if you're a coach, like, what do you do at the start of, of every summer or at the end of every summer? You go back to the basics for a few weeks to get the boys ready. You start basketball season, the same thing, right? We've got to remember how to do a layup and shoot a free throw, right? We've got to do those things. If you're a teacher, you spend the first few weeks after summer break. What are you doing? Trying to remind them of the basics, trying to get them back in the swing of things. No matter what it is you do, you can't get beyond the basics, and sadly, as preacher types, we, we don't want to talk about the basics a whole lot of times. Uh, as preacher types, we like to get up here and we want to study really hard and pull something really deep and really profound out of the scriptures, and, and we want to blow your mind and make you go, wow, I've never thought about it that way before. Or, wow, that was really intellectually smart or deep. And, and sadly, we're a really insecure lot, and so we get our self-esteem from it you know, a little bit. But honestly, the, the basics are all that we have as believers, I mean, whether or not you're a believer in Christ or you're a new believer, or maybe you've been a believer for, for 25 years, I would suggest to you that you always need to hear the basics. You need to be reminded of the basics. And that's what these first 11 verses in chapter 15 are about. So look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Paul said, I would remind you, brothers or sisters, of the gospel that I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul says, I would remind you of the gospel. If you're a Christian, the biggest problem that you and I have is that we forget the gospel. We forget what Jesus has done for us. It becomes very easy for you and I as believers to slide over here into works righteousness and think that it's based on something I've done or my church attendance or the way I behave or the way that I act. And what Paul says is, no, remember the gospel. Remember what Jesus has done for you. If you're not a Christian, then what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a Greek word. It's the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. 
And so if you're growing up in this Greek culture at the time, there were all kinds of battles going on at that time. Remember, Rome is ruling, and, and the way Rome ruled was by a sword. And so they're fighting all these skirmishes all the time. And so what would happen is, is they would send an army off to war. While they're at war, we don't have 24-7 news networks with the reporter in his helmet and his flak jacket on to tell you what's going on. And so you're back home wondering, okay, are our boys winning? Are they losing? Are, are we going to be okay? Or is this opposing army going to come get us? Are we going to be slaves to this opposing nation? What's going on? And in every single battle, they would designate one person as a messenger. And at the end of that battle, that messenger would run back to the city. And if they had won the battle, he would run to the town square and he would go, I have brought an Galeon. Good news that a battle has been fought for you today. And that you will not die, but you will live. That you will not become slaves, but you will remain free. And the good news is you did nothing. They did it all for you. That's the good news of the gospel, that a battle has been fought for you and you've done nothing, that you have been rescued from slavery. See, the good news that Paul's talking about is that Jesus Christ stepped down out of heaven and he became a human being, that our eternal God took on human flesh to identify with us that he lived a life so that he could sympathize with us in every way, being tempted as we are, suffering as we do, yet he did all of it without sin. Then this Jesus died. He died taking our place and taking our sin away. And then three days later, he rose again. That's the good news that Paul's telling us about. That's the gospel that the battle's been fought for you, that God loved us in Jesus, that God has dealt with our sin problem in Jesus, that God has conquered our enemy death in Jesus. And so before we move on, if you're not a believer, the question I need to ask you is, have you taken your stand on this gospel? Do you know Jesus? Have you believed in this good news? See, if right at this moment where you sit, you're not conscious of the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most wonderful, thrilling, exciting news that you've ever heard in your life, then you've never heard that message. Ever. You're standing on some approach to to right and wrong, maybe some religious approach, but it's not the gospel. So unless you're conscious of the fact that a battle was fought for you by Jesus, then you haven't heard the message. You haven't gotten it. That's why Paul says, I need to remind you of the basics. Because the gospel is the means by which you stand before God, is what he says. That your right standing before the Father is based on Jesus' performance, not your own. That means that if you're in Christ, when God sees you, he doesn't see you in all the ways that you've blown it this week. He sees Jesus that you stand before God on that. But it's also the means that you were saved from the wrath of God. Joe read this verse this morning, Romans 5, 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. 
More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That God's wrath was poured out on His Son instead of you. And because of that, you've been reconciled and made right with God. You have a relationship with the God who created you, and it's all because of Jesus, not because of you. The gospel is what you stand on. The gospel is what saves you. But then Paul issues this this really interesting warning. Look what he says at the end of verse 2. He says, unless you believed in vain. Now this doesn't mean that a believer can lose their faith, right? We're clear on that. Once saved, always saved. We believe that, that once we've trusted in Jesus, he closes his hand on us and he will never let us go, right? The Bible never says you can lose your salvation. But what the Bible always asks and what Paul's asking right here is, did you have salvation to begin with? Okay, we've talked about this before. It's not just tipping your hat to Jesus and walking an aisle at one point in your life and shaking a preacher's hand and saying, yeah, I trusted Jesus, but then nothing ever changed about you. That's not salvation. See, faith in the gospel message leads to a new life. It leads to a changed life, not a perfect life. Okay, You will never be perfect this side of heaven. But it is a life that is growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a life that says, I am not the same scumbag I was last year, right? That I've grown, that I've changed, that there's progress being made, right? For some of us, right, your pastor, sometimes that's very slow progress, but there's still progress nonetheless, See, what was going on in Corinth is that a lot of the Corinthians, like a lot of folks up here in the Texas Panhandle, intellectually or outwardly acknowledged Jesus' lordship, but they never committed their lives to him. I've been telling you this for five years. Go door to door in Spearman, Texas. Everybody's saved. You won't find a non-Christian in this town. I guarantee you, maybe, maybe a couple that would just blatantly say, I don't know Jesus. Everybody's saved. But most of them, their lives don't reflect that in the least bit. And this is what Paul's talking about right here. Is that some of the Corinthians, they had said, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But what he means is that they believed as the demons believe. James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So they acknowledged Christ but they had not received him. They did not stand on him. They were not saved by him. And they did not hold fast to his word. Many people will make positive responses to the gospel. But see, only genuine faith results in salvation. So see, what Paul's doing right here is hitting hard. What he's saying is, was your conversion genuine? Did you really know Jesus or was it all outward? Did you get really emotionally worked up at at, at a church camp or, or at another service at one time and didn't really know what you were doing and you just went down and you cried and you shook a preacher's hand? Or or did you really trust Jesus? In other words, where are you standing right now? Are you standing on the gospel? And if you would tell me yes, then my question is: is your life different? Has there been growth? Again, you're not perfect, but you're changing, and you're becoming more like Jesus. Folks, this is the most important question you'll answer in your life. Are you standing on the gospel, or are you standing on something else? See, that's why Paul says this message right here is of first importance. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So Paul says this message that I delivered was of first importance. And notice he doesn't say the Sermon on the Mount was of first importance. He he doesn't say be a good person, that's of most importance. He doesn't say have the right political affiliation, that's not what is of most uh, first importance. He doesn't say any of that. He says what's most important is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So in other words, what Paul wants you to know is that what he's preaching is not something he made up. It was something that was God-authored. It was something that was the plan from the beginning of history, that for hundreds and thousands of years, the Bible, like that God was foreshadowing and eagerly anticipating the coming of Jesus. So, So let me show you what I mean. After Jesus rose again, he met two men walking to a town called Emmaus. And in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27, this is what it says. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus is risen again and he's telling all these men, hey, your Old Testament, boys, listen, all about me, the whole thing from beginning to end, was pointing to me that that I was a better Adam, that I was a better Moses, that I was a better David, that I was a better sacrificial lamb, I was a better temple. All of that was pointing to me, boys. Before he died, he responded to unbelieving Jews, asking for a sign that he was God by telling them this. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus speaking, he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That story, Jonah, it was all about me too. Right? That Jonah was in the well three days, but then that fish spit him out, and it was almost like a resurrection. And Jesus was saying, that story was trying to tell you that I'm coming, that I'm a better Jonah, I'm a better prophet. All about me. After Jesus went back to heaven, the apostle Peter, preaching his very first sermon, quoted Psalm 16. And in that psalm, he said, guess what? It's all about Jesus. Paul, before King Agrippa in Acts 26, said this. He said, to this day, I've had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul's saying again, Old Testament, all about Jesus. It said this would happen. It happened. Jesus, Peter, Paul, all quoted or referred to the Old Testament passages of Genesis 22, 8 and 14, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 and Hosea 6, 2, over and over again, trying to remind people that all of that was about Jesus Christ. The Old Testament told us exactly what was going to happen. So that's why Paul repeats the phrase according to the scriptures twice, because he wants you and I to know that our authority is the Bible. 
that the Bible told us that Jesus would suffer, die, and rise again for our salvation. And if the Bible told us that, then we can know that it's true. But not only did the scriptures tell us that Jesus would die and then rise again, Paul says, guess what? After he did, people saw him alive. First Peter, the leader of the disciples, who, if you remember, was a bit of a coward. He denied Jesus three times before his execution. He lacked courage. But then once he saw Jesus risen from death, something happened to Peter. Peter changed. Jesus spoke to him, reinstated him, and Peter was transformed into a bold, courageous man. He wrote two books of the Bible. He was crucified upside down for refusing to deny that Jesus was the Lord. That only happens because of the power of the resurrection. But then Jesus appeared to other disciples, is what Paul says. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But then Paul tells you one more thing. He appealed to also 500 brothers at one time. And we don't know what this was. The scriptures doesn't tell us what this was. But we know it was probably a huge public event. And so what Paul is saying is that, guess what? That was barely 20 years ago. A whole bunch of those people are still alive. Don't believe me? Go ask them. They saw him. They can testify that Jesus had risen again. But then here's the greatest piece of evidence to me. It says that he appeared to James. James was Jesus' half-brother. Jesus had two brothers, James and Jude. And while he lived, they didn't worship him as God. In fact, they thought that Jesus was just a little bit crazy. In John chapter 7, verse 5, it says, For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, I don't know if you have older brothers, right? I am the oldest out of six, and I can tell you right now, it's good being the king, okay? When you're, when you're the big brother, right? Mama loves big brother. Big brother gets all the attention, why can't you be more like your big brother? Big brother gets all the new clothes. You get the hand-me-downs, right? I loved that, going, I don't need these old rags anymore, boys. Here you go. So, so if I were to walk into my house with my six siblings and be like, hey, boys, girls, I'm God. <laughs> I can tell you what would happen. My siblings, my siblings would, would go, you think you are, buddy. You're not, Right? And I'm sure that was something that was going on with James and Jude. But listen, when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to James and Jude, something happened. They were transformed and became Christians and they worshiped their half-brother Jesus. And so their brother, his brothers would tell you, yeah, it's true. We lived with him. He never sinned. It was annoying. It was so frustrating. We couldn't catch him in anything. We saw him die. We went to the funeral and we saw him rise again. That's our brother. He was God. He came from heaven to live without sin, to die and take away sin, and he rose to prove that he was God. Both brothers became pastors, wrote books of the New Testament. I mean, what would it take for someone to worship their brother as God? I would say that it took extraordinary evidence. And what Paul is saying is that they had that because Jesus was alive. But then in verse 8, Paul lays out the last little bit of evidence right there. He says this. i got to find my water. Hold on here. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
for I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. So what Paul says is that he was not among the original apostles. He was not among the 500 witnesses. He was an unbeliever. He was a persecutor of the church. He was the last person to see the risen Jesus. Paul was hateful. He was a violent unbeliever who persecuted the church of God. And in Acts chapter 9, the Lord shows himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. And what Paul says here, which I find very interesting, is that he says, He appeared to me, right? He appeared to me, um, uh, sorry, in verse 8, last of all as to one untimely born. That, that Greek word there for untimely born is, is the Greek word, it, it's ektroma. It refers to an abortion. It refers to a miscarriage, a premature birth. It refers to a life that is unable to sustain itself. It was used to describe a life without hope of divine intervention. What Paul is saying is that last of all, I was a life without hope of meeting Jesus Christ. I came too late to have been one of the twelve. And so he's conveying the idea that before his conversion, he was unformed, he was dead, he was useless. If you read the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses those exact same words to describe you and I before our conversion to Christ. That we are dead in our sins, we are dead in our trespasses, that we had no hope. But what Paul wants you to know is that God had other plans. And even though Jesus had already gone back to heaven, he appeared and showed himself to Paul. Verse 9, he says, For I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. I hated Jesus. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's saying, Christians aren't good people. They're not. If you're not a Christian and you were to tell me, Christians aren't good people, I would go, you're right. I hear people say all the time, well, Christians are hypocrites. Absolutely, and so are you. You should come join us. You'd fit right in at our church. Most Christians would agree with you. We're not good people. We don't deserve God's love. Paul says, I don't even deserve to be an apostle. I, Byron, don't deserve to be a pastor. But God doesn't choose us because we're good people. God doesn't choose us because we're lovely. Thank the Lord, I'm not. God doesn't choose us because we're deserving. God doesn't choose us because we're talented. God chooses us in spite of who we are and in spite of what we've done. Well, pastor, how's that work? That's crazy talk. It's called grace. That's the heart of the Christian faith. Our oldest is named Ellie Grace. Why? Because it reminds me every single day of the message of grace. We're all sinners. We don't merit, deserve, earn God's love and favor, but by grace, the offer of salvation is freely given to rebels like you and I. Paul says, I'm saved by grace and grace alone. See, those of us who trust in Jesus, 
We're saved from death, hell, and judgment. And it's not because you're awesome. It's not because you earned it. It's not because you're a good person. It's all because of grace. And what Paul wants you to know is that that grace, it saves you from your old way of life. But then check this part out. It empowers us for a new way of life. That's Paul's point at the end. Is Paul saying, listen, I worked harder than any of them. And he did. He was a smart guy. But what Paul says is that all that hard work was really just God's grace working in me. It was really God's grace just, just growing me. Paul says, don't pat me on the back. It was all God's grace that I got anything done. And listen to me. Even if you're not a, a Christian in here, it's really by God's grace that you get anything done. Your talents, your abilities, your job, your breath, your home, the money you have, whether it's a lot or not a lot, everything is by God's grace. God's common grace is extended to all people, not just Christians. So Paul's saying, everything I have is a gift of grace. But my growth is only by God's grace. It's only by his grace that I've had a transformation in my life, that he could use me for his purposes, that good could come out of this evil heart. Paul says that's God's grace. See, God empowers us to live a new life with him by grace, a life that is changed in this body, a life that has eternal value, because guess what? We will see Jesus one day, and next week we'll look at it. You will see Jesus in the body you're in. Your soul will reunite. You will rise from the dead, and you will be with Jesus. So today, here's the question is have you taken your stand on this truth? Have you stood on on this gospel that is of first importance? I mean, do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you pray to Jesus? Do you sing to Jesus? Do you serve Jesus? Do you live for Jesus? Listen to this one. Do you belong to Jesus' church? The Bible knows nothing of churchless Christianity. I believe it was Augustine that said that no man can have Christ as his father unless he has the church as his mother. We must belong to God's body. That's an important question. Is do you love Jesus' church? Do you open the scriptures and look for Jesus? Do you long for the day when you will see Jesus face to face? So if you're not a Christian in here, listen to me. You need Jesus. And hear me, please hear me. Not religion and morality, please. That's tired. It's old. It has played itself out in this part of the country for far too long. Don't believe me? Look at our community. We have a lot of people that want to give lip service to Jesus, but they don't live for him. The reason so many of our churches in town are struggling, why? Because people don't care. Because we've let them for too long say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I got saved back in 1968 at a revival. Never changed. I'm still just a sorry son of a gun. But I know Jesus. That's been played out, guys. Do you know Jesus? The living Jesus. The one who wants to come into your life and radically transform you. You can pray to that Jesus today. He will forgive your sins and he will be your God. Well, pastor, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. There ain't no way God could save somebody like me. Eh, Teeny been arrogant, don't you think? 
I mean, you're so bad, tough guy, that Jesus couldn't save you. Jesus saved Paul. Paul killed people. And if God could love him and enable him to write half of the New Testament, I imagine God can love and save somebody like you. Jesus is willing to embrace you through his death and resurrection to take away your sin, reconcile you with God, and conquer the enemy of death. And so my plea for you today is don't leave here without trusting in Jesus, without grabbing a friend or me later and saying, I need Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I've never heard of what you're talking about before. I need that. And then finally, brothers and sisters, everybody, look at me. It's Sunday. Jesus won. The reason you're in here on a Sunday is because Jesus rose again on a Sunday. One of the things that we've got to get better at, okay? I love you, okay? So hear me. Could we be a little more happy when we come in here on Sunday mornings? Good Lord. I've been here five years, and some days we're getting a little better, but the rest of the time you all look like you got gas. Like, let's smile, let's stand, let's sing, let's worship Jesus that he won, that he saved people like you and me, and that he holds you and I up as trophies of grace and says, look what I did to save these sorry bunch of people, all right? I took their sin, I broke death, I crushed the head of the snake, and I won these people, they're mine, This is what I love. We have the only religion that at the heart of it is the substitution of God for sinners. Not another religion like that. You won't find it. See, the heart of sin is that we've substituted ourselves for God. That we've said that, hey, I belong in God's spot. That that I know better than God. But the heart of redemption is that Jesus has substituted himself for you. Sin is that we've taken what only God deserved, that we want the glory, that we want all the credit. Redemption says Jesus has put himself in our place and taken what we deserve. The heart of every other religion is this is what you have to do to be saved. So here's the rules. Good luck keeping them. Maybe at the end of your life, you did enough to get right with God. The heart of Christianity says this is what has already been done for you. So rejoice. So today of all days, on Sundays, we should rejoice and sing to our rock, to our redeemer who's purchased us with his life. He's risen again. And listen, he's in the process of making all things new. He's going to change all of this. Next week, we get to look at the good news of what it means that one day you and I get to experience life after life after death. It's going to be an amazing thing when Jesus splits the sky and he comes back to get us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for the basics. I pray that we understand that we can never move beyond them, that they are everything that we need. And so, Father, I pray today that this message of first importance, of what Jesus has done, And Jesus has lived the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we deserve in rising again would be the message that fuels us. So I pray that as Christians, that that we would run to that every day to know that our right standing is because of Jesus. It's not because of something we've done, it's because of what he's done. And Father, that's so hopeful to me. So that means on the days that I blow it, that I am not kicked out of your presence because it ain't about me, it's about Jesus. And that I can run to Jesus, that I can receive forgiveness and pardon. And I know that you still love me because it ain't about me. 
So I pray that, that if anyone needs to hear that today, that they would let that just comfort their heart today. That they're loved in Jesus. And if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you today, Father, as, as Paul so explicitly laid out the gospel, I pray that they heard that today. That they would understand that, that Jesus can save anybody. No matter how big, bad, and tough they think they are, that they are not beyond your grace and your redemption. And that they would not leave here today until they tell somebody how desperately they need Jesus. Thank you, Father. Be with us now as we stand. I pray that we would sing and make much of you for what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.